Hello, and welcome back to Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. I am your host, Lauren Morris, and today we have Jill Bernard from Huge Theater on our show. For those of you who don't know Jill, Jill has been performing with Comedy Sports Twin Cities since 1993 and is a founding member of Huge Theater in Uptown Minneapolis. She is the author of Jill Bernard's Small Cute Book of Improv. She has taught and performed improv in Norway, Australia, Canada, England, the Netherlands, Argentina, Bulgaria, Romania, Colombia, Peru, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Germany, and over 35 of the United States, and also an episode of MTV Made. Jill is one of everybody's favorites. How is Jill not everybody's favorite? I love talking to Jill. Jill's been teaching a long time and has a lot of great experiences that she shares. Jill shares openly. Jill is humble, always learning, always making me giggle. There's a lot of giggling going on. Also, with this episode, I have to apologize for some of the noises. Um, Both of our microphones were picking up some background sound effects. Jill's not as annoying as mine because mine included my children deciding that today was not the day they needed to behave. So you might be hearing some of that. Please forgive me. Try to do this over Skype and over audio. One day I might have a fancy, fancy, fancy room for this. Or I won't. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Also at the very end where Jill was uh, telling us about where you can find her, that totally got lost. So I went ahead and added it to the episode. I'll also add it to the information in this episode, and I will put it online. Please excuse the hiccups, and I hope you enjoy the episode. And thank you once again for listening to Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. Uh, So let's just jump in. How long have you been teaching improv? Since 1997. Okay. Well, what was your first teaching experience? I like telling people this story because I think it's comforting to them. I started teaching improv because Audrey Crabtree moved to New York and there was no one else to do it. It wasn't a call from God. It wasn't um, that I felt ready or prepared. Just there was nobody to do it. And that was at Comedy Sports Twin Cities. Okay. And I was basically just in charge of the program. Like whatever I wanted to do was the teaching program. I had a key to the front door. And it was 1997, so I don't even think there were online registrations. You just brought a check and... <laughs> right, right. So when she left, um, had she, so she had been the one teaching prior, right before you, before she left, she'd been right. the one teaching. So she didn't leave you a curriculum of sorts or anything or... Not other than I had done lots of rehearsing with her, so I knew a lot of what she did to teach people the basics. But we just had a nice coffee... And I wrote down just a one single page of teaching advice. And the pieces, there's two pieces that I still think about. One of them was, she said, find energy and enthusiasm for every class. And that is still of great usefulness because sometimes I'm tired or in a bad mood or came from somewhere stressful. But to remember that this class is for these students and I need to, to, shift my focus and find energy enthusiasm to be here. And the other one was just a play. Cause I think sometimes you think you're supposed to be the expert, but you're not necessarily. Sometimes you just 
have you ever been on the bat boat tours in Austin? No, I haven't. Is that where you go see all the bats in Austin? Yeah, I haven't done it. All the bats come out, and you ride in a little boat. The guide is just a teenager with a flashlight, not a botanist, you know, (laughs) not a biologist. Um, A teenager with a flashlight is like, hey, there's a bat. Uh, and it's so that person's not an expert. They just know where the bats are. You can be an improv teacher who just knows where the bats are. Right. right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, know. I think a lot of improv teachers start out that way too, right? Like yeah. just... <laughs> you don't have to pretend like you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do you, um, when you, I, I love the advice of like, make sure to bring energy uh, to it because you're right. There's days when you're just like, Oh, I just don't have it in me. What are some things that you're, that you do still to this day to like be like, all right, it's their time, not my time. I like to uh, let them talk as much as I can. I find ways to ask them what they're interested in and to have their perspective on it. Cause sometimes they discover things on their own that reinvent improv for me. The example I always use is I was teaching a one-on-one class, absolute beginners, how to do a French braid, which is a form that's essentially a herald without the games, just doing three scenes in a row and like breaking them into pieces. It's a baby, baby, baby step to get you to the herald in 20 weeks later. (laughs) And after we finished this, one of the students said, hey, if we wanted to, could we connect the scenes to each other in some way? And I was like, ah, you just invented long form and freaked out. And he didn't know why I was freaking out because it was such a simple question. But yes, of course. I, I think I also find energy by just remembering how special this is that we get to do this at all. Like, how lucky are we that that people are coming here to talk to us about this and want to know about this this art form? I think part of, I don't know, I haven't decided if part of it is selfish or not, but I love level one. It's, there's, yeah, there's so many, like, big aha moments yeah. and, like, their eyes getting really big. And, um, and students do, too. We just had a funny, we're at week seven, uh, and so, of course... One of the 201 students came to me and was like, I hate to say this, but 201 is just not as fun as 101. I'm like, yeah, now you've been doing this for 17 weeks and all the low-hanging fruit has been picked and it's, it's getting harder and it's getting more serious. Casey Sammy, who's a great teacher in Austin, Texas, talks about how like level four of improv music it's just almost not fun at all because, like, now you're really serious. Now you're essentially learning how to be a composer. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and the we, there's no mistakes part uh, is a little bit behind you. It could be rougher, but, yeah, 101 is something. I have friends, though, who can't teach 101 and, and, and have trouble with it. Like Mick Napier, for example, will never teach 101. What a terrifying <laughs> thing to have happened to you. Even when as a perf- even as a player who's had like t- 
five under their belt. I remember I'm on stage and he's like, okay, I'm going to watch all of your scenes for a few seconds, each do like a scene, and then I'm going to break things down. And just after, like he literally watched a 10 second scene and then sat down and told me everything. And I was like, oh my God, that's exactly who I am. And then, <laughs> then he was like, Lauren, I worried yeah. about you because I gave you the insight into your life. And, uh, <laughs> I, I use his phrasing though as an example of how to be a great teacher. When he gives you an improv note, it, it doesn't hurt. He has a way of making it his problem. I'm worried about you because... And then he gives you this incredibly prescient, uh, uh, lovely life note. <laughs> um, but he's couched it in a way that that it, it's not like he's accusing you. Notes can feel so personal. It never feels personal. You can tell that he cares passionately about the work, and that's what we're talking about today. Right. Not, nothing to do with me. We're talking about the work. Right. Uh, for you, do you gauge your notes um, – so sometimes, you know, I can read a student and I can start to see that my notes, uh, I need to like ratchet it down. Like, oh, they're not ready for me to either I'm phrasing it not in the best way for them, but they're starting to shrink back or whatnot. When you're giving notes, do you find that you have a way that works better or do you just kind of Let me ask you this side question? Have you missed it? I found whenever someone says, hey, just give me notes straight. I could take it. That person never means it. <laughs> right. and, if, and if you give them a harsh note, they will sulk in the corner. That person never means it. So that's like a side note. I, as a teacher, I'm the wrong teacher. If you want someone to chew you a new one, I, I, I'm not going to tear into you. I just don't care about it. And I don't think that's how how growth works. I come from a theater school background where the philosophy is tear you down build you back up, but it's just not personally what I'm interested in. Uh, and I think we've all had that horrifying moment in our first year of teaching when you give a note and it's too harsh and you see the light go out in someone's eyes and maybe they finish the course, but their passion for improv was just murdered by you. Right. right. It's like for the worst. Stupid. <laughs> stupid. Right, because uh, at the end of the day, we're doing improv. Come on. Like, yeah. I don't want – yeah, I don't want anyone to ever fall out of improv because of the notes I'm giving. Oh, boy. You know, I had a really – I had an exciting uh, sort of analogy. I took a Spanish class the other month, and all of the other students were less advanced than I am. So I really got to watch the teacher teach and what she did that was beautiful is she sort of cherry-picked. The people were speaking, and of course they were making mistakes, but it was enough that they were speaking Spanish. So she was sort of choosing her battles really strategically. I'll correct this error and let this error go. And it made me realize I do that a lot in improv teaching. Like you can make all kinds of, all kinds of hiccups and blunders, and I'm just going to pull out this one thing that I know we can work on today. I've been saying this for a couple of years that I'm in a really interesting place as a teacher where I don't care at all what my students do wrong. I'm just not interested in it. I would so much rather focus on what we're doing right and highlight that and polish it and elevate it and everything else will fall away. And the other thing is that 
I feel like we can fix the, we can fix things that are habits, not by focusing on them too harshly, but by just sort of treating them like a small, quick fix. I feel like I've been having some really good success taking the pressure off of people and let them know it's a small, quick fix. Ah, you say no in scenes a lot. It's a small, quick fix. Let's not, I mean, other people are like, what are you talking about? That's an enormous fix. Well, maybe it is, but maybe it's just a small thing that we're not going to focus on and put our energy in that direction and it'll fall away over time. That's my thought right now. Do, do you think you are in that, in that sort of mindset because you've had all this time to teach now and because you do so much teaching in a variety of different settings, um, do you think that's maybe where that's some, some of that is coming from or do you think it's just a little bit is that a funny thing happens that now I'm teaching more internationally. And the honest truth is in the United States, if I work with a group of students, I probably know the philosophical background they're rooted in. It's going to be uh, Spolin or, or Johnstone or UCB or Annoyance or, or some little slot. And I can probably piece together how you how you're approaching the work but as i travel outside the country i have no idea how you're approaching the work and i'm certainly not going to say anything that you're doing is wrong i went down to colombia 2 years ago to teach a characters class and i realized instantly that the students had a better relationship with their own physicality and with the physical world than I ever will. Most, some of this company is also circus performers, so their understanding of the capacity of asking me to teach them how to do physical characters is idiotic. That's not going to happen. So what I got to say to them is, I love what you're doing. I have something that I do that I'd like to show you, and maybe... I can, you can add it to your toolkit without reducing what you do at all. This would be another little pocket to play in if you're interested in it, not to correct you or fix you uh, because what you're doing is already is beautiful. I think you're right. I think that has influenced me how often I've seen that. I mean, I think some early improv teachers do think you're supposed to make an army of clones of you. You're supposed to train everybody to improvise the way you improvise, but that's not, that's not what I believe. I believe each person is a unique improviser and I, as an outside eye can help them polish what they're good at and, and remove the obstacles of time and the and habit and fear and have them be more successful at being the improviser that they latently are. Uh, are you so? Are you still the education director over at Huge right now? I am. Yes. Okay. So how does that? Um, I want to like go into a little bit of that because um, do you? Well, I want to go in a little bit of like, did you create that curriculum when it, I did? Okay. So how did you like piece that together originally? I guess. Ooh, that's not good. Quiet. Okay. That was, um, so yeah. So when you piece, so originally was, was the curriculum coming from you originally or is it something you took over? It's from me originally. Okay. And what I did is for one thing at the time, there was only one other long form theater teaching program in the city. So I took a look at that 
to the Brave New Workshop and I looked at their curriculum. I didn't look at it, but I, I looked at their course focus and I designed a course focus that would be complementary to fill in the holes so that if you're a super nerd in Minneapolis, you can take classes at both theaters and come out incredibly rich and whole. Then I thought about what I think of I wrote each separately, like the 101 basics curriculum. I thought about what I think the basics of improv are and wrote a week on each of those. And of course, the weeks overlap with each other because you can't talk about give and take without talking about agreement. So it already naturally had sort of a flowing feeling. I looked at the things I'd written and put them in an order that made sense in terms of, hey, let's not have the first night be emotionally draining, maybe because we know everyone's just feeling each other out. So sort of put it in that order of what makes sense. And then the 201, I'm not sure I've written it beautifully, but what I was thinking is a characters class. And I wrote a survey of how to create characters. Every week we kind of look, take a tiny look at one way you could create characters. And then the last few weeks of the class sort of open up and we get to use those character techniques and scenes with different, with different little elements to that. And then um, 301 is scene work. And I knew that by the time they get to 301, they've probably been doing some basic two-person scenes. Well, I know they have in other classes. So looking at both what other scene uh, dynamics exist besides a two-person scene. Look at, uh, at the end of that course, we take a look at relationship scenes and the game of the scene, how you can work those things together uh, to add even more to the scene that you're building. Just different ways to strengthen a scene regardless of form. And then we just, when we started the 401 curriculum I wrote was just a survey of long forms. Here's two weeks on Herald. Here's two weeks on movie. And and people were dissatisfied with that because you had one teacher teaching these forms. They might not necessarily have the same level of passion for each of them or expertise in each of them. And also by the time someone's in 401, they've almost been improvising a year chances are they have other improv going on in their lives. They might have a practice group. Maybe they're already in a show or maybe they have a team that meets a rehearsal and 10 weeks for them was too long. So now we, we, we're still playing around with it. The 401 we have right now is ensemble building. So we are spending 10 weeks talking about how to build an ensemble, how to be a good member of an ensemble, uh, things that that you will encounter. We also put into that some a couple of weeks of of fundament of, of fundamentals of any kind of a form. If you want to do any long form, what are the tools you need? Well, let's look at edits. Let's look at themes and second beats kind of stuff. And that's how I wrote it. I and the most useful thing was to revise it. You know, you write it, then you try it, then you, then you get feedback on it and revise it. I, I overwrite syllabi on purpose. I write too much because I'm fully aware that every group of people has different needs. So an exercise that's killer for one group will mean nothing to another and will want to have something to move on to 
yeah, that's how, that's how I did it. And honestly, I still write it in. If you've read uh, the the Spolin Theater Games card file, she has a template for how to write an improv class syllabus, and I still use that template. I write eight games on one half of the page, eight games on the other. The beginning ones are introductory, you know, right? Very square, very square. Um, yeah, other improv teachers laugh at my like the precision of my syllabi. But that's awesome. I um, so if, when you guys are when you're getting feedback, are you getting that in the forms of surveys or direct like one on one with students and their um, their uh, experiences? How are you receiving the feedback to know to tweak the curriculum? Oh, in terms of the curriculum, yeah, we we do an end of class survey of the students. And that has revealed a lot of the changes. Most of the changes to the curriculum have come from a teacher experience of teaching it and seeing it not work or okay. not be effective. But yes, we have made some great changes based on things that students said. So the um, that's kind of what I want to talk about is you created this. You obviously have more than one person teaching. How are you... Um, do you have an official train the trainer, train the teacher program, or was it just something that um, because of you know you guys found it huge together and stuff, you all were like, well, we'll each take on this piece and this role. When we started, it had to be that format of that. There happened to be a lot of unaffiliated great teachers at the time that we started. Like a another improv school had just cut loose a lot of their, their staff. So it was like, yay, Merry Christmas. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of our first teachers had moved here from out of town because we were being very careful to be respectful of the Brave New Workshop. And I didn't want any perception or sensation that we were stealing their intellectual property or poaching their staff because that's not how to be a good partner. So we had basically, yeah, Butch and Nels and I, uh, taught a lot of the initial classes ourselves. We had some teachers who were unaffiliated with other schools. And then as time passed, I still don't know that there's any satisfactory way to train a trainer, but what I've discovered is we can do uh, like a four hour or half day course with people who'd like to be improv teachers and start to talk to them about it and have them practice some things and share tools with them. Then the best follow-up path I've had is to have that person teach a sample class. Well, they TA. We have them TA for approximately a year, depending on the person's path and desires. And then they teach a sample class. I get to observe um, what their teaching style is and what hiccups they're having. Take a look at that. Then if that went okay, we, we've been having them co-teach. So two people who are new teachers teaching together to help each other. Hopefully they're people with complementary styles in the best cases, and they can develop their own dynamic of whether they want to teach you teach week one, I'll teach week two, or one that they want to mom and dad it and kind of both poke <laughs> their heads in. Um, and then uh, that's actually been working very well. We tried one session where I 
I was the TA for a beginning teacher, and I think that was way too stressful for her. Having me in the room was a lot, and the students didn't know where to give the status, so there was a weird. And then, yeah, in the middle of that class, I had to leave her alone to go cover for a teacher who had a medical emergency for a few weeks and that so it's sort of disastrous I've really been enjoying the results of putting two new teachers in to go to go it alone and be brave uh and that was revelatory uh, teaching with that new teacher because I got to see the way the syllabus was written from someone else's eyes I had, the first draft of the syllabus was just me basically thinking aloud and writing down the exercises I would do as if everyone knows the same exercises or knows the same version. But we know full well everybody knows different versions of the same exercise. And in some cases, I have to write on a syllabus like, you probably learned this game differently. Here's the way. <laughs> Here's the way we teach you that huge, even though it resembles a game you know from having learned it elsewhere kind of stuff. But I think now I, I think now we're getting closer and closer to a well-written syllabus that anybody, not anybody, but anybody trained and sort of seeped in the huge style could teach without difficulty. That's awesome. I think you're the first person thus far that I've talked to that has a pretty strong like approach to the next generation of teachers. Um, and I don't know if that's maybe because maybe, maybe you guys are just farther down the line in terms of where you are in building your community and everything. And that might be a big, big piece of it. Cause you know, when you don't have a lot of resources or you don't have a lot of people and your community is super small, you may not be able to plug all those pieces in, but I just, I think that's so great. Um, I do the co teaching thing also with coaching when people are getting ready to coach. So, uh, right now, um, I have two people who really are adorable together. So they go, <laughs> they go, coach. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, and, and, and I find that, um, to be a really helpful approach also. Also, yeah, it's really good for that person in there who might be like, Oh no, I don't know this as strong as I thought I knew this. And then they have somebody else there to help them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so I hope you get to talk to, Zach or Kit from DSI. They're on the list. (laughs) They are, if you think I sound rigorous, they're going to blow your mind (laughs) because they've really thought about it. I'm starting to think about it because I'm always kind of thinking of how the next generation will come up. I want this to sustain when we signed a t- we signed a ten year lease the other year on this building, and then you have to think about <laughs> what ten years are right. and what will be happening in this room ten years from now. I also I don't want anybody to feel like like they have no resources. I love that there's more and more resources for people, and you don't have to just make it up as if you're inventing the wheel all by yourself. Right, and we can some best practices. Absolutely. Uh, do you, with your program, um, you know, I mean, improv, like you said, it's, I'm not trying to make clones. It's very subjective and what works for one person doesn't work for another, but do you guys have a policy that people don't pass? Um, you know, don't move forward to other levels, uh, other than if you miss X amount of classes. The students? Yeah. 
very rarely have we told someone they can't move on. Um, and it's basically if there's someone unable to accomplish the work, you know, if you're in a 201 class and you can't hold a scene together, then you can't move on. But the number of people for who that's happened is very small, maybe two people a year. Uh, I imagine someday it will be more rigorous. I imagine a, an improv program that's more like a university program where you don't, where not everybody graduates. Right. Right now, we know, I mean, we know it takes some people longer to get it than others. So you don't want to toss people out on their ear aggressively. My dream is that people feel comfortable going through the program as many times as they need to. But I know that can be expensive and also it can feel weird to go back through and take 101 when you've already taken 101. I think it's healthy, but I, I, I want to go ahead and go all the way to say it's a bit stigmatized. It feels weird to people to take a class again. Um, I would love to be more rigorous, but I don't even know how to do it uh, in terms of passing students. They can't hold a scene together by the end of a 201. And knowing our program and our teachers, they should be able to do that. Yeah. Um, when that is about to happen or the, in the rare times you've had to do it, is it something that you have a conversation with them like, halfway through, hey, we're concerned about where your progress is and we're going to need to see the following? Or is it sort of like, hey? <laughs> it happens. At, it tends to happen at registration time. Okay. You know, when they're trying to register for the next class. Uh, you're, I mean, it would be nice if it, if it were early. I've been trying to think about that if there's like a midterm check-in. Um, and I've been thinking – what's the role of a teaching assistant right now? We have teaching assistants who are prepping to be teachers someday, but also doing rudimentary things like uh, attendance and emails and that sort of thing. But can they also be a student advocate in this way and mention to the students like, hey, maybe you want to practice outside of class or have you been going to jams or ask them other things? Yeah, wouldn't that be great if you got to check in at some point in the middle of your class instead of just finding out at the end? Right, right. I uh, never really. I had one class, I think, where the TA led the class and I met with each student separately to give them like an evaluation of their work. And it was so intimidating and terrible that I never did it again because it was just, it was worse for everybody. We do kind of a thing where it's all positive where people talk about each other's strengths in the last day of class. But in terms of, yeah, 